Hello, and welcome to Tall Tales Uncovered. Thank you to our returning listeners and to the new folks listening in. Please rate this podcast on Apple or whatever platform you're using, and don't forget to share it to help keep our history alive. Boy, the seasons are rolling by. We have gathered inside around this table today, as we all know, it's 100 degrees out. Hey, hi, hi, Susan. Hi, Paul. Come on in. Uh, Come sit in the chairs at the end of the table. Uh, Water and tea are there on the counter. What's that, Sam? Yep, you're right. You did spark our history today when you thought you remembered a story of nationwide search for a gangster somehow being centered in Enid. That seems to be a tall tale indeed. We have talked about the three times Bonnie and Clyde came to Enid, with all the blazing gun battles and chases throughout the countryside. If you haven't heard those true events, listen to podcasts three and four. We think you will enjoy them. Today we journey back to Enid in July 1936, where Enid was recording the hottest temperatures ever in Oklahoma. Frank Gray, whose filling station was on South Highway 81, that's, that's right, Paul. Yeah, it's, it's when you go over the south overpass, the uh, gray addition to your uh, left, that's, that's where it was. Uh, we're glad to tell you that for 10 straight days, the temperature was above 110 degrees. One day, Enid was the hottest spot in the nation with 114 degrees, which was before air conditioning. The brand new Enid Ice and Fuel Company opened at Cherokee and Independence. It was a large plant pouring out 90 tons of ice a day in this drought. Enid was still reeling from the Dust Bowl and enduring the Great Depression. Frank talked about the enormous number of transients walking down the highway carrying knapsacks, willing to work for food. But it was a hopeful presidential election year with Franklin D. Roosevelt squaring off against Kansas neighbor Alf Landon. Enid's new newspaper, The Camel's Calf, was a weekly by the Young Prohibitionist Club. And things are better. The public enemies like John Dillinger, Bonnie and Clyde, and Pretty Boy Floyd are now all dead. Ma Barker and her son Fred were killed by the FBI just last year. Sadly, the lawmen missed the psychotic, criminally insane trigger man for the Barker Carpus gang named Lawrence Duvall. Duvall was born in Ohio on November 17, 1903, moving with his family to Tulsa in the Lombard edition. At nine, he was sent to the reformatory at Brownsville, Texas. At 11, he was sent to the Oklahoma State Training School for White Incorrigible Boys. He then emerged as a member of the Tulsa Central Park Gang with Barker brothers Freddie, Lloyd, and Arthur. He teamed up with Harvey Bailey, the master bank robber, to rob 70,000 from a bank in Vinton, Iowa, and a quarter million from a bank in Washington Courthouse, Ohio. He then joined up with Frank Jelly Nash to rob a bank in Lincoln, Nebraska of two and a half million dollars. He did robberies, burglaries, and safe crackings, too numerous to mention. He was a contract killer and suspected in many murders. In 1932, businessmen came to Muskogee to recover money on mortgages, but they were found dead. The mortgage holders hired Duvall to silence them, was the assumption, as Duvall was seen in Muskogee. 
In Hannibal, Missouri, two officers, John Rose and George Scribbins, approached Duvall. He left them dying on the street. He killed two different bootleggers who didn't obey the booze monopoly, beat up a speakeasy owner, and attempted murder on a sheriff. He then joined the Barker Carpus gang, who he knew from Tulsa. They robbed a quarter of a million dollars from Minneapolis Bank, and in 1932, 47,000 from Fort Scott, Kansas Bank, and 250,000 from a bank in Concordia, Kansas. Their car was modified with armor to deflect bullets and a rear seat to face the rear for the crooks to fire at any chasers. They held up a bank in Minneapolis and officers Leo Gorski and Ira Evans drove up in their patrol car. At 15 feet away, Duvall opened up with his machine gun. Neither officer had a chance. Duvall was now a nationwide police target. He was soon captured in St. Paul running around completely drunk, wearing a full-length big fur coat and waving his gun. The officer hit him over the head with a gun to knock him out. The police had no idea who they had until they checked his prints. He was put in the state penitentiary in solitary confinement, and finally he was placed where he belonged, in St. Peter's Hospital for the Criminally Insane. However, on June 6, 1936, he organized an escape for himself and 15 other insane criminals. A nationwide search for Duvall had begun. He had left at least 11 people dead, six were lawmen, and an unknown number of murders as contract assassins. Officer Cal Palmer, a native of Canton, was a big, jovial man with a ready smile. He had been an any policeman for two years, coming from Fairview, where he was a major county deputy sheriff. The heat was really bothering him. He just didn't feel well. Officer Bert Unsler offered to work for him, but Palmer declined. He would feel better when the sun went down. Palmer returned to duty at 4 o'clock p.m. on Wednesday, July 8, 1936. There was notification of banks being robbed by two men in Attica, Little River, and Turon, Kansas recently. Jim O'Neill, a former police officer, was operating the German Village Beer Parlor downtown at the corner of Broadway and Grand. Around 11 p.m., a man came in and took a seat in a front booth. A girl from the outside the bar joined him. Jim kept an eye on the man as he felt like he had seen the man in some pictures. He called the police to come check him out. Soon, Officer Cal Palmer and his partner, Officer Ralph Narr, entered the bar. They went over and visited with O'Neill before approaching the booth where the man was seated. Neither officer had a clue they were approaching Lawrence Duvall. Lawrence and his fellow escapee from the hospital for the criminally insane, Donald Reeder, had been using Enid as a base as they robbed banks in Kansas with the Crawley County Bank at Concordia set for robbing the next week. Mr. and Mrs. J.W. Edwards were just behind Officer Palmer as he asked the man to come and go with him. 
The stranger said, I think I know what you want me for. May I finish my beer first? Palmer agreed to let the stranger finish. Duvall finished the stein of beer and set it down on the table, and within the same movement, had a gun in his hand and opened fire at point-blank range. Palmer fell first, hit with three bullets, the fatal one going into his heart and killing him instantly. Nar fell next, hit four times in the neck, shoulder, arm, and abdomen. Mr. Edwards was next, being hit in the leg by a stray bullet. Duvall ran out the side of the door of the bar to the north. He ran into the alley next to the Broadway Tower and raced up the alley towards Randolph Street, pursued by Night Chief Leon Coyle and Officers Ted Roberts, Phil Sire, Earl Moore, and Carl Bundren. Near the Max and Rex Cafe at the end of the alley, Duvall jumped into the rear seat of a parked car to the surprise of the driver, Fred Caldwell, and Dr. L.D. Huff, who was sitting in the passenger side. He told Caldwell, get going quick. Caldwell put the car in gear moving forward and saw all the policemen coming towards him with guns pointing at his car. Easing down the street, he and Huff opened the doors of the car and jumped out. The officers began firing at the car as Duvall jumped out and hid behind the car firing all the while at the officers. Coyle had a finger shot off. In retaliatory fire, Duvall was shot nine times with one being a shot to the head, killing him instantly. It was either Officer Coyle or Roberts who fired the fatal shot. The last killer of the gangster era was gone. The Indian News and Eagle read, the officers had triumphed in a bloody battle, but paid a costly price. The murder of Palmer was a shock to everyone and a sad silence hung in the air. Palmer, age 38, left to mourn his wife, Mary, and two sons, Darrell, 15, and JG, 12. Officer Nahr was in critical condition in the hospital Donald Reeder was arrested quickly by officers Ted Roberts, Earl Moore, and Carl Bundren. After C.C. Gibson notified police, he saw Reeder enter the hotel. Duvall and Reeder had been changing hotels between the Oxford Hotel and the Highway Hotel, which were close to the downtown square. The police found the car Duvall and Reeder used containing a sawed-off shotgun, two rifles, a bag with $250 silver, and other stolen merchandise. The license tag matched the car used at the Turin, Kansas bank robbery. Other loot was recovered at their hotel, plus $110 removed from Duvall. It was one of Ian Police Force's finest hours. Quickly, they reacted to the cold-blooded murder of Officer Powell by killing the gangster in an attempted arrest, arresting his partner, finding their car used in bank robberies, and the loot in the hotel room, plus their lady friends, all in under two hours. 
Their actions saved many lives and prevented bank robberies. Reader sang like a songbird to Arthur Strauss of the Enid Daily Eagle about their bank robberies in Kansas at Attica, Little River, and Turon as he was trying to get a life sentence in Kansas for a bank robbery, not a death sentence for murder. Strauss's article got picked up by the Associated Press nationwide. Cal Palmer's funeral was held the afternoon of July 10, 1936 at Henniger Funeral Home. Hundreds attended to honor the Palmer family and hear Reverend S.P. Gaskins preach. Special music was by the Mennonite Quartet of Fairview. Burial with honors was in Memorial Park Cemetery. Mayor John J. Allen announced that all reward money for Duvall and Reeder will be given to Mary, the widow of Officer Palmer. County Attorney Roy Holbert filed a petition in district court for a court order to close a German village beer parlor. Kansas authorities brought Maxine Hilliard and Mildred Smith, who had been kidnapped by the Attica bank robbers, to see Reeder and view Duvall. They identified them as their kidnappers and the bank robbers. The body of Duvall was sent to St. Paul, Minnesota to be cremated. Donald Reeder was arraigned in Wichita Federal Court with officials seeking the death penalty, a life sentence for the bank robberies, and a life sentence as an habitual criminal. Almeida Fothergale, the companion of Duvall at the beer parlor, was taken to the Tecumseh Institution for Delinquents. Juanita Hunsker, or Hunsaker, pretty bond with Reader, was released to her parents in Rolla, Kansas. On the good news, Officer Ralph Narr had his best night yet and is expected to recover fully. J.W. Edwards' flesh wound to his leg is mending well, as is the finger of Officer Coyle. Officer Ralph Narr went on to become the Chief of Police in Enid from 1943 until 1956. In September 2018, Annie Summer, great-granddaughter of Officer Palmer, came with several generations of Palmer's family to present to the Enid Police Department the 38 caliber guns Smith & Wesson with pearl grips that Palmer carried the night he was killed. Chief Brian O'Rourke said, it's invaluable for us to have this. It's a piece of our history we appreciate. Palmer has never been forgotten. Outside the station is a marble memorial telling his story. The hallways of the department have several pictures of Palmer. Officers place flowers at his grave each year. Palmer's gun is displayed in the lobby of the Enid Police Department. Wow, what a piece of history. Sam, you're correct. The nationwide search for Duvall did end in Enid. A special thank you goes out to Captain Brian Skaggs of the Enid Police Department for all his help and the accuracy of these events. I do appreciate everyone coming to Gay and to all the listeners on our Tall Tales Uncovered. Thank you. Please don't forget to share this to keep our history alive. 
Well, Mary, how nice. She just invited us all to go enjoy her pool this afternoon. That sounds great. Let's all go. This is Joe Cummings, and we'll see you next time on Tall Tales Uncovered.